everyone. My name is Patrick LeBlanc, your host, and welcome to Insights Tomorrow, brought to you by Microsoft. Let's deep dive with leaders and innovators in the data space. We're going to explore the challenges, the opportunities that organizations face in their data journeys. In each episode, we will invite some data leaders, experts, and some practitioners who share their unique perspectives on how data transformation is changing their business. Let's explore this data journey together and what it means to you. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to Insights Tomorrow. I'm your host, Patrick LeBlanc. And today we have a very special guest with us, Mr. Amir Nets. Amir, before we get into the questions and the conversation, why don't you do a quick introduction, tell the people who you are and what you do. So I'm a technical fellow here at Microsoft. I am the CTO of the intelligence platform at Microsoft, which means uh, data warehousing and data engineering and data lakes and data science and data integration and BI and one more thing that I always forget. So that's what I do. <laughs> I've been with the company for 26 years wow. and mostly mostly having lots of fun. Yeah, lots of fun. I've been, I, I mean, I've been with Microsoft, it seems like forever now, about not as long as you, only about 12 years now, but it's been, it's been a great journey. And so you said 25 to 26 years. Can you tell us about what I, I recently found out? I did a little research on you, Amir. And what I found out is you actually joined Microsoft through an acquisition. That's correct. So can you tell us about that story? Yeah. So when I, I finished my military service in Israel, in the, in the Israeli Air Force, I joined a startup. I was the first employee in the startup. And and that startup eventually, in a completely coincidental manner, started building what was known at the time as executive information system, which was the precursor of what you know today as business intelligence. We built a product, a very, you know, a small product that was doing pretty well in Israel. We kind of started to feel that Israel is maybe too small of a country for us. So we were looking for partners across the country and across countries, and we were looking for contacts. And the, the CEO of the company, who was she's a wonderful lady, her name is Ronnie Ross, she was a very pushy lady. She knew how to get what she wanted. She wanted to have a contact at Microsoft. She said there must be somebody at Microsoft who could be interested in our technology and maybe can do some partnership. Maybe there will be some acquisition that uh, will happen. And she was able to find the email of somebody from the Excel team and was sending a cold email to that person say, hey, we have this uh, BI system that uh, maybe Microsoft is interested. And you, you just don't know how luck sometimes happens. And that person in the Excel team, the PM on the Excel team at that time was actually looking to buy a BI company. Wow. Just how can you guys offer all the employees of Microsoft? You just, you got the email for the right employee was just at that point in time was looking to buy a, a, a BI company. We had no idea, but he's sending kind of this kind of grouchy letter saying, I don't know who to give you my email. It's kind of not okay to give my email to you guys, but yeah, I might be interested to hear what you have with uh, what you build there. BI. So send me, send me a page on a describe or a couple of pages describing your system. We'll see if there is any mutual uh, interest here. So she asked me to write in English. It was kind of new for me to write in English a description of the system. And I'm writing and I'm spending like three hours, you know, formatting the uh, formulating the description of the BI system that we have. And I read it and I read it again and I read it again. And she's uh, 
And I said, I rip it up, you know, you, we printed it at the time. It's always printed, right? And I rip it up and I start again and write a new, a new description for the system. And I hand it to the CEO, to Ronnie. And she reads it and she reads it again and said, that's a very, very interesting system, but it has nothing to do with what we sell. And I said, yeah, but if I'm Microsoft, that's a system I want to buy. Yeah. And she reads it again and said, I think you're right. Let's send it. <laughs> and... <laughs> So we sent the description of the fiction of this system that didn't exist when we marked it as this is our next generation system and it's a hope for the best. And we get within 24 hours, we get the reply saying, that's kind of pretty interesting. If you happen to be in the Redmond area by any chance, of course, we're in Tel Aviv. If you happen to be in the Redmond area in any chance, uh, by any chance, just let's, let's try to meet. So we flew and we flew and we, we flew to Redmond. And on the plane, I'm creating a whole presentation about the system that did not exist. And we come to Redmond and tell us we have 45 minutes away, like 20 people in the room. And you have to understand, Microsoft at Redmond in 1996 was the mecca of, of the software world. There was like, there was no other well-known company. There was no Google at the time. There was, you know, there, there was no Facebook at the time. There was, you know, Apple was about to die at the time, right? So Microsoft was it. And you go there, we took our, our picture next to the Microsoft sign because we knew that it's the one and only time we'll have a chance to be there. Like, was this one time, once in a lifetime experience for both of us? And we go in, there are 20 people in the room. They told us that 45 minutes. And Ronnie at the beginning tried to explain the existing system that we have, but they said, no, no, we want to hear about the next generation thing yeah. that you wrote us about. Yeah. And I have this whole presentation about it. And they ask a lot of questions. And the whole presentation goes to two hours long. And then they, the PM, Corey, who hosted us and his uh, his boss said, you know, it's kind of interesting. Can you wait for 15 minutes? And then they, we wait in the room for 45 minutes and come back. So let's go to lunch. And we go to downtown Bellevue, which is just next to Redmond. And they, we go to a restaurant and we ordered appetizers. And as we ordered the appetizers, say, we want to buy you. Wow. That was it. Wow. And we wanted to meet with our boss today. After lunch, of course, this was the worst lunch I ever had. Could not, I lost all my appetite. But uh, we met with we met with their boss, who happened later, years later, became the CTO of Microsoft. It's, his name is David Baskovich, brilliant person. And he basically, we go into the room, and just, things were just so different than, than they are today. But thing, uh, we went in the room, and he said, "My guys, tell you, tell us that your next generation system is exactly what they were looking for. So, how much do you want?" Ooh. And Ronnie throws a number. And he says, that sounds reasonable. And that was about, and when can we see it? And she said, well, uh, we are still working on it. The alpha will be ready in six weeks. And I said, okay, then we'll see you in six weeks. And we leave the room and Ronnie said, oh, crap. I should have asked for way more. And I said, Ronnie, but we have nothing. We don't have a system. We sold them nothing. Okay. <laughs> so this, this started the, Craziest six weeks of my life. We lived in the office, me and the whole development team. We built the system that we promised. And, and gradually the system is, is, is taking form. You know, the ser the client is starting to ping the server and the UI is starting to take shape. And it's kind of almost working, but I'm looking and there is a week to go. And I tell Ronnie, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. I don't think we can finish it in, you know, we have one week to go. We're just too many problems. And then she said, no, try, try. And it said, you know, trying more and it's still not working. Three days to the visit. They, they're coming. They're coming. They have, they told us they have tickets, they have retainery. They said, Ronnie, you have to ask for postponement. Let's ask for another week. 
And she's, she said, you sure? I say, I'm sure. I just, there's no way. We're just not ready yet. We need a few more days. And, and she, she's, she said, okay, I'll call Redmond. And she's calling Redmond and, and the people who were supposed to come to do the due diligence to visit us in Israel to see this new system. Well, th- these people are, uh, already, already left. They're going to have a stop in Europe and then they're going to have, they're going to arrive to Israel. So that it's already gone. She said, I don't know. Said, okay. We'll do our best. So it's, you know, 48 hours of sleepless, you know, sleepless 48 hours. Nothing works. They are landing in Israel. She's, they're calling from the taxi on the cell phone and say, we're on our way. And say, I'm going to press F5 one last time. Maybe that last bug will fix it. And it's working and it's working. And I'm trying the demo and it's working. And so nobody touches anything until they leave. <laughs> nobody touches anything. And, and they come. And the first thing we do is we take them to the, to the meeting room and we give them the demo. And I'm, 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 everything is working except for one thing. Like I'm actually, you know, you do slicing and dicing yeah. on the screen yeah. and, and you have this kind of pivot table style, like our own metrics. And I'm kind of, as I'm doing the demo, I kind of do the math on the screen. I'm looking, the values in the column don't sum up correctly at the, at the total. And I'm saying, and I'm really realizing that there's a bug and I'm changing the view and everything is fine. And we pass it all an hour and a half of perfect presentation. And, and I knew that we had the deal. I knew that we had a deal and they leave. And then I say, you know, I tell guys, you know, we got lucky. They didn't realize that there was a bug in this in actually summing the numbers. That's terrible. Like your BI system, you cannot do the math correctly. That's a terrible thing. So I say, okay, let's fix the bugs. Let's fix the, that bug. So we opened up the source code. It took us three more months until we got it to work, to work again. Wow. So we had one, one hour of bliss that everything <laughs> was just working. And that's how I got to Microsoft. Uh, so, and so was this OLAP? Was this OLAP? This was what was known later on as Microsoft OLAP services and Microsoft um, analysis. And later on, a, a release later became Microsoft C- sorry, SQL Server Analysis Services. So we basically joined the SQL Server organization. We were this weird small team on the side. We were not working on the main product, the B, the, the, the relational database. We were working on this OLAP thing that nobody knew what even OLAP stands for, how to spell it. And, uh, and we were building that thing, which, uh, as it happened, became a, a giant hit. And Microsoft uh, Analysis Services for a decade uh, after we released became kind of the main the main BI engine or OLAP engine of the industry, um, all the way from you know all the way to 2000 and I guess 2010. This is where you know so we joined in 20, 2000, uh, 1996, 1997. Yeah. We joined Microsoft and then uh, all the way to 2008, 9, 10. That's where we, we were doing incredibly well in the market and then things changed. Yeah. So I remember I started working with SQL Service 7.0 long, long, long time ago. I was a DBA and one of my first jobs was to take it from 7.0 to 2000. And then I got a job at a marketing company and they wanted to do decision support. You remember decision support systems. And so I built my first OLAP cube, multidimensional model around 2008. Um, I built it. And I remember it was for our payroll company, uh, payroll department. They just had to have the ability to quickly payroll and finance. They just needed to drag and drop. They were Excel. They loved Excel. And so once we pushed the first cube out, I remember like I read this book and it was just a nightmare trying to figure this MDX language out. I didn't master it, but I conquered it. I, I call it a, a conquer, not a master, because it's it wasn't it's not a trivial language. If you're if you know SQL, trying to come from MDX to from SQL to MDX, man, it's a whole different language. And so I remember this and then 
about a month after we deployed it, it was constant. Hey, can you add this? Can you add this? Can Why can't we just do it ourselves? And so for me, it was like, I need to give them something more agile, more flexible, so they can do some of them things themselves. And I remember, I guess it was around 2010, this thing, Vertipack. I remember this thing. I remember it was in Excel and I saw this thing and I was like, what is this? To, I'm not going to use these multidimensional cubes anymore. I'm going to use this VertiPak thing. And I always wanted to ask you, how did you go from this OLAP to VertiPak? How did that transition happen? This was a really, really interesting transition. It's one of the things that so many companies, I feel, sometimes have the problem of realizing when a generation is ending and a new generation begins and, and you have a successful product with the old generation and you really think that you can just ride it forever. And, and sometimes you just have to realize that's not it. That's not it. It's, 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 it's things are changing. The things are constantly changing. And so we were doing, we were, we are having uh, SQL server analysis services doing incredibly well. All the IT shops adopted it, building giant cubes, mastering that MDX language is certainly not a trivial language to master. And we're starting to get around 2006, 2007, we're starting to get some warning signs that something is changing. We are hearing about that we are losing deals. We're losing deal to competitors that I never heard about. Like my competitors were Oracle. My competitor was SAP, you know, big giant companies, IBM. Uh, my competitor was not this company like uh, Click or Tableau. I said, who the, who the heck are these guys? I never heard about them. It's, uh, and I said, what's wrong? Like, why are we losing to these guys? And uh, what's, their, what's their all up technology? And they don't have any all-up technology. And their strength is, they told us, they just come in, they showed the business people how easy it is to build their dashboards and reports and to slice and dice data. And the business people just fall in love. And the main thing that business people uh, want is, actually, they don't want to have dependencies on IT. So every time they need a change, I have to go back to the expert to build something for them. They, they, they want to be kind of free as a bear. They want to be able to self-serve themselves. And uh, you know, at the beginning you say, ah, brush aside, okay, an incident here, an incident there. And then you, you know, after a while you say, it's a trend, something is going on here. And perhaps our whole strategy of a technology that is designed around IT experts building those big giant cubes for the end users is vulnerable to, um, to the easy technology that allows end users to serve themselves. Says, okay, well, let's do it. Let's reorient our product towards doing the same. And this is where you have to really look at yourself in the mirror closely and realize and, and and don't don't believe your own marketing BS. Okay. You you have to say, what is truth? What is the true objective truth about your product? And say, my product inherently was built around the processing of very large volumes of data by professionals. It's actually, when you load the data in, it's going to take sometimes hours for it to achieve the, the performance that we need, the, the slicing and dicing capabilities, because the way the old OLAP technology, all technology you were selling at the time, those cubes that we, you, you, you were using, the way it worked, it was summarizing the data in all sorts of variations, also you know, creating all these, what we call aggregations. And it takes a while for the data to be loaded, to be processed, to be aggregated, all of that. And sometimes it's hours for this to work. Now, businesses don't want to wait hours for anything. They're used to Excel. And so we we realized that what if even if we made our stuff easy, the 
the just the wait time and the MDX language and all of that just will never never be able to meet the the users you know a business user needs for self service. And so we have to do something else. And this is where you start thinking you know rethinking everything. And you start observing things that were happening. You didn't pay attention to them before, but now you start observing and saying, I think that we cannot rely anymore on aggregation of data. So what's our way to achieve the performance that we need? Well, it's going to be something that has to run in memory. Memory prices are plunging at that time. Like it was, there used to be, RAM used to be super expensive a few years before that, but now RAM is becoming very affordable. And if you look at the trends, you say it's also continued to become more and more affordable over time and say, okay, so let's, let's try to think about uh, a technology that is designed around keeping the data in memory and achieving the performance, not by pre-aggregating the data, but just by making the system work so fast because all the data in memory are not on disk. And we call this technology the in-memory BI engine, the IMB engine. Okay. That's how it was called internally and said, okay, we don't only, we're not only going to have to have an in-memory database. We are going to have some user interface that will look more like Excel. So allow users to work it as if they're working with Excel. So everything they do, every change is instantaneous. And so let's go work on it. And we have this idea of how to make it work in memory and we are working on it and we're coding for six months and we are measuring ourselves because we know it has to be super fast. And it's not, it's absolutely not, okay? It's getting worse and worse. Like every time we add more features, it becomes slower and slower and slower. And, and the person who worked with me is Christian Petkulescu, who has been, we've been working for 20, over 25 years now together. Amazing, one of the best developers we have at Microsoft. He's just legendary. And he's working with me and, and, and we are realizing it's not well and the holidays are coming and I'm actually flying back to see the family in, his, in Israel with my family. And we're having the Israel visit and then we're flying back to Israel, uh, back from, from Israel in early January of, I forget which year, maybe 2007, 2008, 2008, I think. And, and I'm on the plane, I'm just pulling out a, a paper. Um, I don't know why I thought this paper could be interesting, but I'm pulling out the paper from a journal. And the first paragraph in the paper states something that is obvious, but I never really, but I never really thought about it. It says, uh, data in databases are distributed in uneven way. And I said, that's kind of interesting. So what it means really is that some values are more frequent than other values. That's what it really means. Okay. Like there will be more customers that reside in the USA in your database and customers that reside in Luxembourg in the USA. That's obvious. That's, that's a fact of the world. It's not a, it's not a computer science thing. It's just obvious that some values are more frequent than other values. Right. But then I asked myself, how come no database system ever designed itself around the unevenness of the data? What if you think, what if you assume that the data will be uneven? How would you design a database system? And I said, that's a really, really weird idea. I never heard anybody discussing designing database system around the unevenness of the data. But what if we do something here? What if we start thinking about the unevenness of the data as a design principle? And it just bothered me. I said, there must be there. There must be there. There must be there. And we landed back in, in SeaTac in, in, in the Seattle airport and, um, we drive home and we put the kids to bed and I, I go to bed and I cannot sleep. This idea starts forming in my brain. I cannot sleep and I, and I'm jet lagged, of course. So I'm, I'm leaving bed and I'm going to my computer and I'm starting to type what is known today as a verity back algorithm. 
And it's all around that unevenness of the data in the database. And at 8 a.m., my wife is, is, is coming to my PC and she's asking two questions here. Well, one is, why, why would you bed in all night? And number two is, why won't you put some clothes on you before the kids wake up? Uh, so, so I sent that, I sent that very, very rough note, about 20 page document to, to Christian basically saying, Christian, we have to start all over again. I have a whole new algorithm. We have to wipe all the, every, we have to wipe all everything we worked on the last six months. We have to start again. The whole algorithm was wrong. We have, this is going to be the winner. We are going to use it. And Christian, as completely as expected, says, no way in hell. Uh, we just worked for six months. You want me to start all over again? What, what do you think I have? So I come to the office and he goes to our shared manager and say, Amir is crazy. He wants to start all over again. And, and, and our manager comes and say, well, what is Christian talking about? You really want to start over again? I said, yes. I said, tell him to just give me 24 hours for 12 hours. I'll convince him. And, and so, so Christian very begrudgingly say, okay, well, 12 hours. You have 12 hours. Until the end of the day. And we start quoting the first POC. Like and 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 we we didn't take us the end of the day. We went and, and we did we did the first F5 of actually executing something at 12 a.m. that day. And I'm telling going to tell look, this query here is gonna take 15 milliseconds. And it's pressing F5 and it takes 15 milliseconds. And he said, impossible. That I have a bug. I told Christian, you're Christian. You don't have any bugs. You never have bugs. <laughs> and say, so that's how it's supposed to be. And we continued to work through the night. And in the morning, he was convinced. And he and Christian basically created this 2 million line of code in the next six months. And that's what you know is a very back algorithm, the very back engine. And so when we, when we finished it, uh, we did the first demos. And you have to understand that the performance, if some of the demos of Veridipak are such, and, and that was just mind-blowing, we were able to show scan rates of half a trillion rows per second, half a trillion rows per second scan rates, grouping data, filtering data, joining data, half a trillion rows per second. And you have to understand that when you say half a trillion rows per second, the clock of the PC is running at 3 billion cycles per second. So in one cycle, so in... In one cycle of the PC, we're able to scan about you know about a hundred rows in one cycle. That's the most atomic unit of a species of worry. So it was kind of the numbers we showed, where people thought you know it was like us claiming we can fly you know hundred times the speed of light. That's it, right. That is the claim that it yeah, looked yeah. like. <laughs> How can you do so much in one cycle of the PC? That that is really what. Uh, we were showing and people thought we we're cheating. Say this is impossible. What you have there is, is an impossibility, but it was real. It was real. And, and that's, that is how the VertiPack algorithm became to be. So I'll tell you this. It changed the VertiPack engine. It created careers. It created, you know, it transformed people's lives. I will tell you this. It changed mine. It, it absolutely changed mine. Uh, when I first started tinkering with it, I remember it was SSAS 2000. I did some power pivot, but when I really got serious about it was in 2012 when the tabular models were introduced. I think it was 2012. Don't, don't trust my timeline here. I'm getting, I'm a little mature. I'm not as young as I used to be, but somewhere around, somewhere around that time. And I started building these tabular models. I was working for this company called Pragmatic Works. We were deploying these things everywhere. It was just, it was 
absolutely amazing. Um, and then speaking of demos, I uh, I remember I was at this conference. Satya was speaking. I don't remember the exact conference. I, I, I'm sure you do. And he invites you out on the stage, and you do one of one of the most amazing keynote presentations that I will say probably most people that's in this industry has ever seen. It was the King of the Hill and it was Mariah Carey. It was the Beatles. It was, oh, it was just, and it was some group. He was like, I never heard of them, but whatever. And he just went on and went on. And the response, the response that you got from that, did that, did that give you any indication of where this thing was going? How did you feel? What were you thinking at that point? First of all, I, I, look, there's so many things I can talk about this. Yeah. Uh, I'll start actually from a very early memory of mine. The year is 2002, way about 10 years before the event you're talking about. It's actually a series of events. But in Microsoft at the time, you would take young managers or you know, mid, mid-level managers and put them in this kind of a workshop. They call it strategy conference. And you think that they really want your opinion about Microsoft strategy, but it's not. It's kind of a big brother game where they're going to go and observe how you behave in the company of other young leaders to find who are the, the top leaders, uh, who are the, the kind of the leaders that are up and coming at Microsoft so they can identify them. So it's kind of a, a little bit, uh, I don't want to say it's kind of, uh, it, we don't do it anymore, so I can talk bad <laughs> things about it, but at least I don't think we do it anymore. I hope we don't. But it's a little bit like Hunger Games. You want to see who survives, like who are the best of the best, right? Yeah. Uh, that's, and and you do that, it's kind of a couple of days, you go into an offsite. And in my event, when I was there, Steve, Bill Gates actually was one of those watchers that are observing who's doing what and so forth. And at the end of the, in the last day, there's kind of a, Everyone can pro- propose a session that uh, they can they can have a work group, and one of the executives would join their work group. And I my I propose a work group and say let's think about what should be the next killer product of Microsoft. Okay, and I put it out, and there are five people joining me, five five other young leaders, and then Bill Gates joins. He is going to be the the leader who is going to you know Bill Gates. You know even today. You, sh- you know, you're, you're, you're very impressed, but then even then it was even more impressive. Like he was still the the president of the company, the chief architect of the company. I don't know if it's, I don't think he was already the, I don't remember he was CEO of the company uh, at the time, but you know, Bill Gates is Bill Gates. And you got to see, you're going to lead a session with him being one of the team members and you are supposed to head. And I had an idea in my head. And I just said, okay, let's let's throw ideas on the, you know, you know, let's throw ideas of what could be the next killer product of Microsoft. And I said, business intelligence is going to be a killer product. And everybody was looking at me like I'm nuts, including Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I did not pass. But <laughs> and the reason why I'm saying this because many years later, many years later, I'm now working with Bill. The thing that you know as the King of the Hill demo actually started with a project that I, I was working with Bill. And, and Bill's passion was natural language query on data and still his passion, natural language uh, query on data. And, uh, and we built a project that was really about, about working and, and applying natural language on, da- on data. And it, I don't know, everybody remembers the end of the demo and still getting, now it's over a decade later, still meet people. Yesterday I met somebody who's not at Microsoft anymore. Says, oh, I know you. You did the king of the hill demo. It's, yeah. Seriously. Okay. Still, <laughs> once or twice a year, a week, I'm still meeting people who remind me of those demos, I guess. 
I really embarrassed myself, but uh, <laughs> but uh, they still remember that. And I'm working with Bill. I'm working with Bill on that, and it's it's actually it was an amazing experience working with Bill. And uh, we built this this project, which became now you know it is Q and A feature of RBI. At the time, we thought it could be its own standalone product. It was called Q and A, and we wanted to kind of demonstrate how you demonstrate that you type a natural language question and you can get results and make it interesting. And a lot of what I learned over time is that don't do Contoso demos. Don't do Northwind demos. Don't do Fabricam demos. That's boring. Go with something that people know and understand and they have opinions about. So you can go with movies. You can go with music. These are two things that everybody knows and there's data about them. So I said, I'm going to do a present. I'm going to show how you can ask questions about music. And everybody loves music. And everybody has their favorite artists and so forth. And we, we thought about how will you show the best way to go and, and uh, demonstrate natural language querying when the subject matter is music. And that's how. And we said one of the things that is, is really cool about music is that you have every era has its own you know, leader in music, you know, there's the artist that, or the, or the band that is dominating the era, whether it's the, it's the, it's Elvis or the, or the Beatles or the Bee Gees or Michael Jackson, you know, there's always, there's always somebody who's dominating Madonna, right? There's always somebody who's dominating an era. And I uh, said, how about we show how those, how the various artists and bands compete for the dominance. And we had to have a matrix, a metric of, of what is, what is it become a dominant artist? That is how many, where do you show up in the chart? How many songs you had? What your longevity? And so, so we computed this kind of metric, uh, this measure, if you, and, <laughs> and we use that to kind of evaluate. And of course, different artists and bands are changing over time in, in their popularity. And we created this visualization that really shows how they're competing and how basically they're pushing. So the king of the hill basically said there is always a king. There's always the most dominant one. And everybody's vying for that position. And when one they're bumping each other from that position, it was a super fun visualization. And everybody got it. And it and you can actually because it's all it's so animated. You can actually do this kind of sportscaster style, yeah. uh, almost like a, you know a WFF kind of uh, <laughs> uh, style uh, commentary about them bumping each other from the center and so forth. They're hitting each other. They're coming back, and it was so much fun. It was so visual. And everybody remembers it. And everybody remembered the Mariah Carey demo. Yeah. That's yeah, how they the Mariah, the Mariah Carey demo. Because at the end, because it was at the end, Mariah Carey, I think, was the, the lone yeah. survivor in the center of the ring or something like this. <laughs> so <laughs> that was how, how it worked. Yeah, Rihanna just kept coming back. She was trying. Yes. She was crying, but Mariah Carey just took over. So I will tell you that this kind of an experience, and I think that very few people have the experience of just having fun on stage. Yeah. That is, yeah. you can do a presentation, but just having fun on stage with having, you know, 10,000, 16,000, sometimes even 23,000 people cheering. They're having fun. Yeah. You yeah. know, you know what I mean? That's yeah. the main Believe thing. Yeah. I was having fun. They were having fun. Yeah. They were, they were responding. It's what's one of the best experiences of my life. I don't, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to have any a chance again to do that. But this was so much fun and so much fun for me and so much fun for the audience. And it just shows, and this is back to where we are today with Power BI. It started then in those big, big fun sessions in Stadium Today. Power BI 
today is a killer product. I can yeah. tell you. So yeah. going back 20 years before, I was meeting with Bill Gates and he thought it was, I was crazy that I thought that we can actually make data, make data fun and a killer product. Power BI today is a killer product. And a lot of it is because we are thinking about how to make it fun and how yeah. to make it beautiful. And so we, we came from OLAP. We went to Excel, Power Pivot and Excel. And now we're here with the number one, I mean, I tell you, my career is built on this product, the number one Power BI tool, the number one BI tool, not Power BI tool, the number one BI tool, not just in the United, in the world. It is everywhere I go. I was walking down the street the other day. I had a Power BI shirt on and my neighbor was like, wait, wait, what do you know about Power BI? <laughs> you know, and, and just some random random guy, I don't know him, but he knew Power, my company uses Power BI. And so we we went there and now we land on the greatest business intelligence, you know, tool in the world. And it's it's just all encompassing. But now we have to think about the future, right? We, we, we've succeeded. Microsoft succeeded. You've succeeded, right? You've succeeded. You've built this great product, but now it's time now it's another evolution, right? Now it's another evolution. We have data. Data's coming from everything, everywhere we use. Where are we going now? What's what's Microsoft's direction? What's what's the next great thing? Yeah. So so I think that when it comes to data, there are two things that we have to to work on that complementary. We need to get the big to work with data as far and wide as we can. And to be very honest, the way we measure today the success of Power BI is we know how, how in various companies how well used Power BI is, and we actually know how it, it's doing compared to its its older brother or sister, Excel. I actually don't know if you know. Uh, <laughs> I need to think about Excel, brother, sister. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I love Excel. Excel is actually one of the most beloved products in the entire world. And absolutely. for a good reason, absolutely good reason. And for us, Excel is the benchmark for success. Like we want to see Power BI be as, as used and as loved as Excel is. And we're actually measuring ourselves on that benchmark. And I can tell you that there are companies, giant companies, where the usage of Power BI is now rivaling to that of Excel. And I'm saying with full love to the Excel team. Uh, but I want to say they are the they are my benchmarks. This is what this is what we want to be when we grow up. We <laughs> want to be the, the next Excel. Yeah. Okay. Next to that other Excel. We want to be, you know, Power BI and Excel, we should be peanut butter and jelly, always going together, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we measure Excel ourselves next to that. So we want to get to the same popularity level that Excel has. And we are starting to see that is happening. That's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. So but we need to see it more. We need to see it across the board. So that's one side. One side. It's it's just getting to everybody. Everybody who uses Excel should be using Power BI as well. And we're designing Power BI to be incredibly consistent with a lot of the office UI experiences, design points, and you know, using of one of OneDrive as a way to share data. All that. Now, that's one side. The other side is that, yeah, everybody's saying it. I know it's going to sound very cliche. There is so much data in the world. And today, without data, no organization can survive. Without taking advantage of the data, without milking every ounce of value of the data, you cannot survive. And it's working with data is hard. And we made 
the last mile now, super easy. Power BI is, is, is amazing. If you already have the data and you want to create the visualizations and you want to create, you know, and you want to share data and share insights, Power BI is amazing. But Power BI is, is kind of the, the tip of the iceberg, where there's giant iceberg under the water of, okay, how do I get the data? How do I, how do I clean the data? How do I enrich the data? All of that. And, and this is a challenge. This is expensive. This is complex. This is fragmented today in, in the world. And we said to ourselves, why does it have to be this way? Well, we, we took something that was, was thought as, as the idea was ridiculed 20 years ago about can we make data for business users so easy that so fun, so beautiful that they'll, they'll view it the same way that they view any other productivity app in office. With that, we're doing it with Power BI. Can we, but we're doing just a lot. Can we do the same thing for everything else that is underwater for the date, for the data lake and the data warehouse and the data science and the data engineering and the, uh, the data, the data transformations and the real time analytics, all that. Can we make it so? easy and fun and integrated that we allow organization to take and you know take all the data assets and really get the m- most out of them especially as we today we're going through an era we all know that something amazing happening in the world of ai right but ai to be useful really for the organization it has to be data aware and the, the data has to be there for the ai to be able to give you good recommendations to find the insights to become that expert that helps you along it needs to have the data how can we make how we can create the, this super integrated easy to use platform for data the big data and that is is kind of having the same principle that allows us to uh, build power bi apply to the rest of the stack so we just released microsoft fabric and I think Microsoft Fabric is going to do to the data, to the modern data stack, what Power BI did for business intelligence. In fact, Power BI is integral part of Microsoft Fabric. But not only that it's integral part of Microsoft Fabric, a lot of the design points that made Power BI so popular were now, are now pervasive in Microsoft Fabric. It's software as a service. It's not platform as a service. People today are, are using the data stack is built on an, on a bunch of platform as a service component. And I have a huge respect for the people who built the cloud, the modern cloud, and build platform as a service. But you know what the difference between platform as a service and software as a service? What is it? Software as a service is like going to the Audi dealership, uh, selecting a model, selecting the color, selecting a few optional features, taking the keys and driving home. That's software as a service. That's how okay. Power BI is built. That's how Office 365 is built. Okay. Platform the service is like going to the O'Reilly Auto Parts store, buying an engine block, buying four wheels, buying a windshield, buying buying seats, going to your home garage and assembling your homemade car. That's platform of the service. We don't service. want that. We don't want that. No, no we, we don't. You don't want something that is working out of the box. We took everything that used to be platform of the service, we made it software service. We made it integrated. Think about what Office did for productivity apps 30 years ago. We're doing for the data stack this time and it's no knobs it's auto integrated the ui is like office the everything is instantaneous everything is in everything is easy it's all designed for low code but at the same time with the full power of 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 the petabyte scale that you need under the covers it's absolutely revolutionary it's and and the heart of it's one leg was amazing technology to bring all the data to one place in a common format sharing is instantaneous mashing up is instantaneous you you, one copy of the data 
in one that can be used for data warehousing, for data engineering, for data science, for business intelligence. From Excel, you can slice and dice it. It's just incredible. Like the set of innovations we have there is un- unbelievable. I'm so excited. I don't think I've, look, I, I've done I've done a bunch of things in my life. And, you know, we built the, the analysis services that was dominant. We built VerdiPack. We built Power BI. Fabric is a completely different league. Absolutely differently. It's a watershed moment for the data industry. And it's going to make the whole management, not just one analytics project, but the whole data state is going to become centralized, manageable, easy, integrated. We're bringing the people of Power BI with the people of the data warehouse to work on a common system that they can collaborate on. We bring governance and compliance and security. We're doing everything in a way that is so beautiful and integrated and easy. People who see that, and I hope people who now listen to this, if they haven't looked at it, go look at it. It is incredible. Absolutely incredible. And and I think this is, I cannot be more proud of the team that worked on it. And for the customer who helped us get there, we had about 200 of, of the, our amazing customers in the private preview and helping us and giving us feedback. And we learned from them so much. And I think what we got out there, while not perfect, is going to be amazing. Absolutely amazing. And by the time we go to general, it's become generally available, there will be nothing like it, not even close. So you're going to see this, this Power BI, the, 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 the spirit of Power BI is now really becoming the spirit of the entire data stack. Everything you love about Power BI is now going to be true for the entire data stack, for the petabytes of data, of structure and unstructured data, for the data lake, for the data warehouse, for the data science. It's just all like that. So new journey, new life. Super excited. You can hear it from my voice. I'm, I'm so excited. Yeah, I can hear it. I can hear it. You're making me excited. Look, I'm I'm already excited. I can tell you this. I'm already excited. I can't wait. I can't wait to work on it, deliver it, work with some customers to get some things done. I'm so excited. Thank you so much, Amir, for taking time. We know you're busy. We know you're super busy. Thank you so much for taking your time out of the day to come hang out with us and get us excited. We're going to be waiting for another King of the Hill demo. I can tell you that. We're waiting for another King of the Hill based on fabric. We can't wait for one of those. Maybe maybe you'll lead it and I'll come do the demo. We'll see, right? Uh, <laughs> thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you somewhere on the web. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Insights Tomorrow. Be sure to catch us next time as we continue the journey to uncover the challenges and the possibilities that organizations face every day. You can find more about the show and catch future episodes at insightstomorrow.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.